You're listening to the Nothing But The Tooth Dentistry Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Nothing But The Tooth Podcast. I am your host, Shane Simmons, and today we are going to be talking about influence. How can you leave a resounding impact on your patients, close more cases, using Robert Cialdini's Principles of Persuasion uh, from his book Influence, which is a must-read if you've never checked it out. Influence basically uh, explains the psychology of why people say yes and how to apply these understandings to your career and to your work. And today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Christopher Phelps, who is uh, an excellent student of influence and persuasion and is also a dentist who's had a lot of success throughout his career. And of course, he uses these principles throughout his life and his practice and everything that he has going on. But we're going to break down these principles. Uh, There's six of them. There's reciprocity, there's scarcity, there's authority, consistency, liking, and consensus, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how Christopher has been able to use these principles throughout his practice, throughout his life, and then hopefully you could take this away and start applying it to close more cases in your practice, help more people, because that's ultimately what the goal of the Nothing But The Tooth podcast is, is to help dentists grow their practices through marketing, through influence sales, whatever it may be, so they can ultimately change the lives of their patients and help more people. So let's get right into our interview with Dr. Christopher Phelps. Yeah, well, the first thing to realize is, why are these principles so powerful? You know, why do they exist and, and why are we talking about it? And it comes to, down to the fact that probably 80% of our day, whether you believe it or not, uh, for the majority of the people out there, uh, their brain is on automatic pilot. <laughs> so there's no rational thought or emotion driving their decisions or their actions. And so what they're doing is, and it's mostly because they're so bombarded with information and things they got to do today and tasks and whatnot. Their brain just can't process it all. It's just too much. So it's learned to filter through this all for little shortcuts, little things that if present in a situation, trigger a yes. And our brain has learned through time and our society and the way we've been raised and whatnot that typically if these things are present and trigger a yes, that it's a good deal for us. It usually works out in our favor. Um, So really the majority of the, the decisions that people make are based off of things like what these principles tap into. And that's why they're so powerful. Um, So like from a reciprocity standpoint, I've always kind of come to a mindset of I'm a giver. You know, I've always tried to help be the first to help people Um, more so not that I'm expecting anything from it, but just because that's my nature. I want to mentor. I want to coach. I want to help others. I've always kind of felt like, you know, I've been good at sussing out the answer, as we said earlier, and finding the path and then turning around and say, hey, guys. What are you doing over there? You know, you don't have to make all those mistakes. I already made them. Here's the way to go, <laughs> you know? And so by giving my time, my energies, whether it's to these patients and these community presentations or to other dentists that I mentor and coach, um, I know it's been a, a great practice builder. In my own practice, you know, I do a patient appreciation party every year. Uh, again, it was built to be a new patient, a, a goodwill thing for my existing patients. 
But then through learning, I've realized that you can actually leverage these opportunities and people want to reciprocate by nature as a result. So then I can turn these patient appreciation parties, if you will, into a patient attraction event to where it's one of the few things you can do that actually gets me over 100 new patients at one setting. So my only problem is I can't do it every month. <laughs> it's only once a year. Um, but, you know, you can leverage these influence opportunities for the betterment of you and the other party. Yeah, and I think, too, Christopher, it's about, you know, just providing value and showing the sincerity that you, you have, the appreciation that you have for someone. I mean, from a psychological standpoint, that has a massive impact on our brain. I mean, for example, think about the last time someone has done something for you, went out of their way to do something. What impact did that have on your beliefs and your thoughts about that individual versus, you know, the opposite where you say they're always asking, 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 never doing anything for you. I mean, it's unbelievable, Christopher, how, how powerful this is. And again, our brains are on autopilot a lot of times subconsciously making these decisions for us. Yeah. And think of it this way, right? Think of all the words you would use to describe someone who uh, receives or takes, 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 but never gives. You know, do we have any words, any positive words for the non-reciprocators? And as a society, you'll, you'll know that we don't. <laughs> and so it's not in our best interest to be perceived that way. Whereas those that are givers are received in a positive connotation. Uh, so it's much better to come at people instead of walking into a room of people for the first time and saying, all right, who here can help me? It's give the behavior you want to receive and you're likely to receive it. No, exactly. Then the next principle that I like to talk about, and, and this one I think is, uh, I see it all the time in my life, is you know, commitment and consistency is what Robert Cialdini talks about. Talk a little bit about that, Christopher. What, is, what does that mean? What is commitment and consistency, uh, according to Robert Cialdini? Yeah, well, so consistency, like you said, is all about commitment. So if you can get someone to make a real commitment, to take a stand on an issue, to take an action, et cetera, then there's a lot of internal and external pressure on them to stay consistent and follow through and do what they said they were going to do. So again, let's talk about people who don't do what they said they were going to do, who are inconsistent with their beliefs, if you will. So what do we call those people? <laughs> are there any good words for them? Uh, you know, flip-floppers, wishy-washy, liars. Yeah, no, nothing is good, right? So again, there's a lot of external pressure, but a lot of internal pressure for us to be consistent. And if we do make that commitment, do what we said we were going to do and follow through with it. But this was an interesting principle because, you know, this was right around the time I had sold my two best offices and I took over my two worst producing highest debt offices. So I had a lot of problems going on and it was a powerful motivator to get to the why behind those problems. And so when I heard Dr. Cialdini speak about the principles and this one in particular, the light bulb kind of went off in my head because this one was the root cause for the majority of the problems going on in my practice. From the team standpoint, for the behavior I wasn't getting out of them, from the patient standpoint, from the behaviors we weren't seeing from them, such as not following through and saying yes to their treatment, not showing up for their appointments, not referring people, right? Not doing the reviews we asked them to, et cetera. So I, I really realized that that's kind of what struck my interest and, and made me understand that not only was he, was he the source, but that he was willing to teach it and led me to him. And so I was really fortunate that I got to train under him for over a year and 
you know, he made me one of his certified trainers so I could really understand this one more in particular in detail and kind of use my own practices as a laboratory to start experimenting with these things and figuring out how can I take these great concepts and put them into practice and what do we do with them to, to solve the issues and behavior issues that we see in our practices. How, how do you help, you know, instill that commitment and that consistency within your employees or, you know, within your patients? One thing I always hear about, and we all know about this, is, is no-shows, right? We, we hear about the no-shows yeah. or the canceling of the appointments. Are there some techniques or things that you can do out there to help prevent that from happening using this principle? Yeah, so the first is to differentiate. Are we talking about new patients in no-show or existing patients? Um, oh. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's very telling, going back to reciprocity, you know, reciprocity and liking are all about building relationships. And so if it's an existing patient who no-shows on you, think about that for a second. What does that really mean? And think about even your most mild acquaintance, someone you would kind of consider a friend. And would you ever make an appointment with that person, this kind of friend, to meet them somewhere and not only not show, but not even call them to tell them that you couldn't make it? I mean, who does that, right? So if that's the case and you would barely do that for a, a kind of friend, why do patients do it to us? And it goes back to, we don't really have that relationship with them. So we need to figure out other things. You know, if we don't have time to build the relationship, then we need to get more of that commitment out of them to show up for their appointments. So for our existing patients, we can do that by doing some simple things by instead of filling out their appointment cards for them, thinking it's a customer service thing that we do all the work for them, put it, flip it around, make them do the work, make them write down their appointment day and time, make them fill out their recall card. Okay, by doing that, they're making more of an active commitment to show up for their appointment as a result. For the flip it the other side, like for that new patient who we haven't had a chance to establish that relationship. Uh, what can we do? Like some simple things, like one study I like to talk about in my influence trainings is one uh, a study that was done up in sh Chicago. And did you know that like, the restaurant industry has the worst no-show rate of anyone? <laughs> like literally 40% of the people nationwide who make reservations at restaurants don't show up for their appointments, for their reservations. Wow. Yeah. So imagine if, if you had a 40% no-show rate at your practice. <laughs> How would you stay in business? Okay. It's, it's tough. And so what they were looking for was how can we get more of a commitment out of people to show up? Well, in this one restaurant in particular had a 30% no-show rate. So instead of using the standard confirmation line at the end of when they make the appointment of saying, hey, Mrs. Jones, please call us if you need to cancel or reschedule your reservation. All they did was change it to this. Will you please call us if you need to cancel or reschedule your appointment or your reservation? And they waited for the person to say, yes, great. We're looking forward to seeing you then. Thanks. And they hung up. And without doing anything else except changing that one little thing and getting more of a commitment by asking that question, that alone led to a, a no-show rate that dropped from 30% down to 10%. That's, a, that's amazing. Just, to, just by changing a few words around. Just by changing a few words. Because you're getting more of a commitment out of them instead of just telling them a thing. So one of the things that you brought up that I think that we really need to look at from the existing patient-based standpoint is a lot of times we may blame the patient. We blame the patient. They didn't show up. They didn't notify us. They didn't do this. But 
it's sometimes we need to take a look internally and see is there something more that we could have done on our end to build that that you know commitment that that trust from you know the liking principle from uh, the reciprocity principle to prevent that from happening in the future. So it's not necessarily all about the patient and how they did this to us, but rather we should reflect internally. Definitely, definitely. And believe it or not, you know, the, we like to think that people don't come to their appointments or whatever because of the price or because they think we're expensive. But the truth is it, what matters more is what we said or did before we talked about our price. We, and if we get to the point where the patient's saying we're too expensive or that's the reason why they're not coming back, uh, that just means we dropped the ball from an influence standpoint before we ever got to that point. Um, so just understanding that alone is, is a big factor right there. Let's transition to social proof. This is probably my favorite uh, principle. And social proof uh, is, you know, essentially people follow what other people are doing. And we see it every single day in our daily lives. Talk a little bit about that. And um, from, from a practice standpoint, how you can really utilize social proof. And I, and I think I, I have a few ideas of where you might go with this, but I'm interested to hear. Yeah, this is a very powerful one, especially with online marketing today. This is the most powerful influencer. And it's all about people look to what others are doing to show them what they should be doing. Um, especially in times of uncertainty, when they don't know what they should do, they look to others. And it kind of goes back to this idea and this fundamental principle that nobody wants to feel like they're alone. Like they're the first one to do this, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're the one stepping out on the ledge, if you will, to experiment. So imagine a fish swimming in the water, you know, fish don't like to swim by themselves, right? What are they, how do they like to swim? in a school of fish, right? In groups of fish. Because what happens when you swim out there by yourself instead of in the school? You get eaten. <laughs> you know, bad things can happen, so to speak. So it's a, it's a fundamental law of nature and it applies to us as well. So to show them the evidence of what others are doing is a powerful motivator. So if you wanna do more, let's say cosmetic cases, then don't talk about all the benefits of your cosmetic and show one before and after smile show them the before and after is of many patients that you've done. So they see that they're not the first to do this on, or you, you know, you're not the first to do this on. Um, do simple things. You want more patients to pay today, right? Wouldn't that be great? Instead of having to send them a bill. Well, track your counter collections and see what your percentage is. And if the majority of the people are doing what they're supposed to and paying today, all you have to do is share that information with the others. So one of the things I did, I started tracking my counter collections and realized I think we were collecting around 72%, which means that the other 28% were not paying today and we had to send them a bill. But the key was the majority are. And so to influence the minority, all you have to do is share with them that they're in the minority. So I put up a sign at check-in and a checkout that said, by the way, 72% of our patients choose to pay their bill at the time of service we would appreciate you doing the same today. Simple as that, right? Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I started tracking it and 72% started turning into 76%, which turned into 81%, which turned into 89%, which turned into 94%. Okay. Wow. And it's been stuck at 94%. Now I get, I've influenced 94% of my patients to pay what they owe their portion today instead of me having to send a bill. Instead of me having to worry about them, I'm going to have to send them to collections, et cetera. 
just by sharing with them what the majority of the people are doing. Yeah, a good example that I have from that from from an online marketing standpoint is, you know, we do a lot of online marketing with with implants. And what we had done is we had ran a kind of informative ad about implants and the life changing effects that they can have. And, you know, we use the, the different text and things in the copy to talk about you know, the, the pain points and and how you could overcome those. But then what we notice is after we put up a video of an actual patient who was talking about their life before implants versus after implants and getting implants done at this particular practice, our consultation requests skyrocketed and the closing rates on those skyrocketed as well. And so I think that really, from a, from a marketing standpoint, social proof should really be utilizing as much video and patient testimonials that you can, because like you said, you don't want to feel alone, like you're the only one. And if you see somebody who is in a similar situation as you and feeling the same pains you were, have a solution, you know, have their problem fixed, that is really powerful. That's it. Why rely on the evidence of what one person has done when you have evidence of what many others have done? And so kind of the, the magic number you want to keep for is like at least four grouped together in any given setting, like either in testimonial form or in video form. Uh, but as soon as you start getting more, four or more, you really start tapping into this principle as well. Yeah. Let's talk about liking a little bit. And this is you know, something when I, when I choose my dentist, this is one of the big things that I, I look at personally is how likable is, is the dentist? You know, are they someone that I can talk with, I, you know, chat with a little bit and feel comfortable about that? Or are they you know, just strictly you know, clinician? Like, you know, that's it. They're there to uh, do dental work and, and that's all. How, how can you um, use the liking principle to really win over you know, more people? Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways, but one of the main things I like to say is people like those who are like them. So people who have similarities, common interests, uh, similar backgrounds, favorite sports teams. Oh, you got two kids. I got two kids. You know, your name is uh, Chris. My name is Chris. Uh, you know, you were born in October. I was born in October. You like the Panthers. I like the Panthers. Right, even something as simple as that can go a long way to, to build liking and to help build that relationship with that person. So what I always recommend is that before you get down to the business of dentistry, before you start ripping their lips open to see what's going on in there, before you go over the medical history, sit down and have a conversation with them and, and ask a couple of questions to find out what you have in common. Take that time to build that liking principle. and. You know, the example I like to give is my, uh, is this, you know, I had a patient one time that came in as a new patient and I saw her checking in at the front desk and, you know, I hate to say this, you know, I hate to sound like I was being prejudging of her, but we all do this, right? I was kind of prejudging of her and looking at her on the surface and thinking, well, I have nothing in common with this person. So I was at least hoping one of my female associates was going to get her as, a, as their dentist because at least they had, you're a lady, I'm a lady. <laughs> you know, I didn't even have that. So I thought, what in the world am I going to talk about? And, but lo and behold, it was my turn and, uh, to check this person. So I didn't know what I was going to talk about, but I figured I would keep asking questions until I figured something out we had in common. So I walk in and I see her medical history and I was like, huh, look at that right there. And I said, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Dr. Phelps. Let me ask you something. Were you born October 14th, 1976? And she goes, obviously she's kind of perked up. I was like, well, yeah, of course I was. 
I was like, well, you know what? So was I. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like we're birthday buddies. Right. And sure enough, we were born the same day, same year. Uh, and she lit up like a Christmas tree and we spent the next 20 minutes talking about our birthdays. Okay. And engaging in that and building that relationship. And lo and behold, guess who left the practice that day scheduled for her $12,000 treatment plan? My birthday buddy. Now, was it the only thing? Was that the only reason? Probably not. I'm sure some of the other things we influenced her with, but look, don't you think that had a big part of it? Right? Yeah. Definitely. So don't always look at that as, oh my gosh, this person's taking up my time. I've got a million other people I need to see. It's like, you could be really, you could be building something up there by having that chit chat. And if you can see that they're actively engaged with you, you're, you're really doing something kind of behind the scenes there. That's right. And it honestly, all you need is at least one thing in common and then you can move on if you need to. Now, obviously the more things you find in common, the more you're going to build the principle. But my kind of goal is that no matter what, I always find at least one thing we have in common. I don't care how simple it is before I move on to the business of dentistry. And sometimes you hit the jackpot and share the exact same birthday as them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with a birthday buddy. I'm just going to Well, let's, transition that into the um, authority, authority principle. And, yeah. you know, this is obviously, a, these are all nice balancing acts with, with one another. And I think, you know, from an authoritative standpoint, you, you see the dentist as the authority, I hope, uh, in the room. If you're having a problem, they're the expert. Uh, tell us how you can use that um, effectively, but not do it in a way that's too off-putting, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, and the authority principle basically is that people look to credible, trustworthy experts to tell them what they should do. And the reality is just because that they don't have time to be the expert in everything. Nobody does. So we look to these other people who are experts in these fields that we can trust to tell us as our shortcut measure. Um, and so some of the ways you can use these in your practice is obviously, I look at it more as like, this is one of those principles that should be an, an indirect influencer. It's stuff that they're seeing, they're, they're exposed to, but it's not something you're doing directly because I feel like we waste too much time, effort, and energy trying to sell this person on why we're the expert, why they need to do the work with us. Look at all these cases I've done, so to speak. And what happens when you try to tell someone how good you are? How is that usually perceived? In a good way or a bad way? Usually a bad way. In a bad way, right? So it's actually going to work the opposite. When you're actually, it's in your better interest to let other things, other items, other people present you as the authority that you are versus you trying to sell the person that you're the authority. Um, so I, I do that with my team. I let them present me in, as the authority to endorse me, uh, to put up all my credentials on the wall so patients see my training and expertise without me having to talk about it, letting them see the testimonials, the 700 positive reviews we had on our website, et cetera. So that they see that, you know, so many, a lot of people have said good stuff about us and spoke on our trustworthy factor. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's interesting from a cultural standpoint too, because here, you know, in, in Indianapolis where, where I live, we, we have this nickname of humble Hoosiers where we don't like to brag about ourselves. We don't like to uh, feel as though we're, we're doing that from just culturally, you know, whether it's a Midwestern thing or whatever it may be. And yeah. so by uh, being able to leverage that principle in the way that you talk about, it allows you to 
hold that position, that authoritative position, without having to be that person who's trying to you know, sell someone on their, their skill set. Yeah, and the real power behind this is that, and you mentioned it earlier, believe it or not, but the title doctor alone has some authority built into it, right? Uh, for just because of that title, because people know if you got that title, you had to do something to get it. You just didn't take a weekend course or stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. You know, you had to earn that thing. Um, so the real power with the authority principle that I kind of focus on in my trainings is teaching others how to empower our team members to be the authorities that they should be viewed in the patient's mind. So to present them as the authority to the patients as well. So we have multiple authorities in the practice recommending the treatment that they need instead of just one authority, which the patient sees now, which is the doctor. So again, the more authorities that are telling us that we need it done, again, the more likely we are to get it done. Excellent. Well, finally, just kind of wrapping up here with scarcity. Let's talk about that and, and how we can leverage scarcity. And the whole idea to our audience behind this is really that um, you know, people tend to act. Let's take Black Friday, for example. You know, you've got the doorbuster type deals. People know there's limited quantity. It's something about that that makes them want it more. Uh, from a dental perspective, though, um, you know, how, how can we use that? Oh, man, there's so many ways to use that. Um, and scarcity, like you said, it's all about resources. When resources are dwindling or running out, suddenly we want it more. And we'll pay more to get it. And if somebody else wants it, too, then we really want it which is what the Black Friday thing is all about, the competition factor. So, I mean, in the, in the dental practice, geez, I mean, I use it in marketing, but I'd say one of the most powerful things, the ways to use it is in case acceptance. Because who wouldn't like more patients coming back for treatment, right? And so scarcity is one of the most powerful motivators for action today. Now, you may think of it as that it has fear built into it, which is true. That's partly why it's so motivating because there is some fear. Like if the oxygen was running out in your room right now, wouldn't you want to know about it? And, and if you had a chance to do something about it now, wouldn't you? <laughs> of course you would. Uh, so that's why the fear is there. It's kind of a protective mechanism, if you will, for, for life. Um, but it's also powerful. And what I like to tell people is this. Truthfully, whether you realize this or not, if people really knew what we knew as practitioners, as clinicians, whatever, was going to happen to them if they waited and didn't move forward with our treatment, meaning if they knew it was going to cost them more time, effort, money, pain, by waiting and not moving forward with treatment, most people would prefer to reprioritize their dental need in their life and make it a want and get it done today. And so I feel like we waste too much time focusing on the benefits of our treatment where study after study shows that people care more about what they stand to lose than what they stand to gain. And that's kind of what scarcity is about too, loss, okay? So if we instead first talk about the consequences and not move forward with our treatment, then go into the benefits of said treatment, now we're going to see a powerful change in people's behavior and more people saying yes to treatment today. So it's all about sparking emotion again. Yeah, like I said, the, we don't usually use emotion on the whole, but when you do tap into it, emotion can be a powerful motivator for yes. And scarcity taps into that fear, which taps into that emotion. 
For, for anybody, Christopher, who is listening to the podcast right now and hasn't really thought about implementing these principles previously, but now are listening to this thinking, okay, you know, this is something that obviously is really powerful. Others are using it and having great success with it. Where do you start? Uh, well, I would definitely start with Cialdini's book, you know, Influence, uh, the Science of Practice. And uh, check out my website, guidethemtoyes.com, G-U-I-D-E, themtoyes.com. I do a whole two-day series of trainings on this, just this topic and all the different ways that this applies in dentistry to solve our problems. Uh, it's for doctors, it's for financial coordinators, for hygienists, uh, office managers, people on the telephone. It's really for the whole team. Everyone has a chance and opportunity to be of influence okay, and set the stage for a yes to something. Um, so I would definitely use that as your next measure. Uh, and my goal for that course, of course, is not only to give you some fish, because I know you're hungry, you know, give you the systems and tools so you can literally copy and paste them and go do them uh, and see results, but also to try to teach you how to fish, to see, teach you how to recognize when these things are present and teach your process on how to tap into them. Excellent. Well, Christopher, anything else that you want to add, touch on, um, any plugs, anything like that? Uh, I guess the biggest thing is, you know, in addition to the influence training, you know, part of my goal is, as I said, going back to, you know, reciprocity is I've always been a mentor. I've always tried to help people and provide more in value than what they ever paid me for. Uh, so I've just launched a, a program called the strategic practice, uh, strategic dental practice.com. And it's really my way of teaching others in this field, how to grow and how to grow quickly. And what I call a radical manner, like I did, uh, how to 10 times your revenue, like I did, or how to double your practice next year uh, and doing some simple little things, but focusing on all the stuff that we talked about tonight with influence, with Colby, you know, our teams, uh, the most important metrics of your practice and uh, marketing, you, know, you name it. Um, I've kind of got to figure it out and reverse engineer a process that's been successful for, for many that I've already been coaching in the past. So Check out the strategic practice. I think you'll find it interesting. And for those that are looking to seriously grow and uh, want to be held accountable, you know, and publicly commit to a group of their friends, people they like, uh, on what they're going to do with their business, uh, there's no limit to where we can take them. And not to mention, if you if you do sign up and, and work with Christopher, you're going to be committing yourself, which in itself is uh, helping motivate you to actually take the action, which will result in. Um, amazing, amazing things, right? Because it's, it's Chaldini's principle. You commit to something, you're going to want to stick with it. <laughs> that is it. Exactly right, Shane. All right, Christopher, thank you so much for being on the podcast here. And uh, again, this, this was really valuable. I, I enjoyed this interview so much and uh, look forward to hearing from you in the future, I'm sure.